Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Hello, and welcome to the show. This is the second in the series of our coverage of the life of Queen Charlotte. In part one, we talked about her origins in a relatively obscure German duchy, her arranged marriage to the young King George III of England, their genuinely happy relationship there, and cozy family life with their numerous children, and the contrast between that calm existence for the royal family in itself and the turbulent world outside. The year is 1782. Charlotte is 39 years old. This is the year Queen Charlotte sat for her famous Thomas Gainsborough portrait, in which she has such a sweet and good-natured expression. We'll put it in the show notes. So we have that to look back on, but I have to tell you a bit of personal tragedy. Now, this all happened before the end of the American Revolution. So there's a lot still happening in the world. But in the tiny world of the Insular family, all the royal children had in their turns been inoculated against smallpox. Lady Mary Wortley Montague, previous subject, had brought the original treatment called variolation back with her from Turkey. In fact, Lord Bute's wife had been the very first English person, if you don't count whales, so... <laughs> People in Wales did it before, but England, as in England itself, she um, at four was the very first English person to go through with the smallpox procedure, though it had been, of course, widely practiced in the Middle East and across Asia long before this. Well, in 1782, little tiny Prince Alfred, their 14th child, the youngest at the time, was inoculated against smallpox, and afterward, I'm sorry to say, he succumbed to the illness. It's still, you know, you still have a chance of getting smallpox from the preventative care until Edward Jenner's cowpox-based vaccine comes along in the 1790s. So he was the first of Charlotte's children to die. She has beat the odds until now. To have all these children make it all this way is almost unheard of. His parents, of course, were grievously affected. But six months afterward, the two youngest children, Sophia and Octavius, were given their doses. Sophia was fine. Octavius was not. Octavius followed his brother to the grave, and the royal family and the country did not go into official mourning because mourning is not called for for children under seven. How's that for chilling? Oh, no. And I read in a more recent, so I don't know if the, the times they are changing with the infant mortality improving it, I read also that it was no official mourning for children under 14 unless they are the official heir to the throne. So both of those things could be true, but definitely the country did not go into mourning for either Octavius or Alfred. However, their loss was absolutely stamped on the hearts of both parents. There is a painting that I'll put definitely on the Pinterest board called The Apotheosis of Prince Octavius, in which Alfred, with an angel, he's already in heaven, is welcoming his brother, Prince Octavius, into the afterworld. Um, it's quite beautiful. It was painted right after Octavius's death. Also right after Octavius's death, about, well, not right after, but about three months after, Charlotte gave birth to her final child, Princess Amelia. Everyone called her Emily. She was a favorite of the whole family. She was a little fragile of health, but was everyone's pride and joy, just a little bit of happiness after the devastation the family had been through in the past year. Unlike the eldest sons, especially the two oldest ones. 
Oh, my goodness. George and Frederick, the teenagers now, were not doing what their dad did, you know, and sticking close to home and being pious and quiet. And they were not. They were out gambling and not giving away their proceeds to the poor. They were womanizing. There was all kinds of raucous behavior from these two princes. And they were giving royalty a bad reputation, like the absolute worst versions of don't you know who my father is. Ultimately, the Prince of Wales would run up millions of dollars of debt, like tens of millions of modern dollars of debt. Please help his parents. It is not good. And only one of all of her sons ever even pretended to emulate the linear, insular family life of his parents. And that was the youngest son, Adolphus. Bridgerton, the series, the queen gets that right, that part. No one could seem to get a handle on them Mm -hmm. at all. They were such a disappointment. And you know, I can parent from all the way up here. But you know what might have contributed to this? The boys were given their own households sometimes shared households, but at the age of eight, and in one case, five, when he was separated from the nursery and given his own staff, his own rooms, his own protocol, his own circuit of duties and and studies and things. And so, I mean, I know British people still send their sons away to school, to boarding school at eight. And so I guess it still happens, but they left the bosom of the family as a living space before they were even 10, you know? Which their dad did not. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, they came back every day. I think they had to come back for dinner or the children's hour or something. I mean, they came. They came. Yeah. It was a compound they had. So they were back and forth, but they were pretty much in their own houses. Yeah. Also, the elder daughters were at marriageable ages by the royal standards of the time. They were 17, 15 and 14. But the king's youngest sister, Caroline Matilda, had just absolutely crashed and burned as the Queen of Denmark. Now, maybe we should cover her. Um, (laughs) Here's a very quick 30-second summary. Um, Depraved husband, an affair, imprisonment, an attempted coup, died at age 23 in exile without her brother able to help her materially. So no, George and Charlotte were super wary of putting a daughter in that kind of situation. It was sort of Way easier to focus on the youngest children who were still in their sweet phases. When Charlotte was about 44 years old, she's now finished in having children. She would love to be thinking about gardening and botany and re-landscaping Kew again and what sciences her six daughters should be learning now as she's keeping them as closely guarded as she possibly can. But George was stricken by a mysterious stomach ailment. He was shrieking, shrieking in pain. And it wasn't where you think like your appendix is, but it was that kind of pain where grown men just cry. I mean, there's nothing mm-hmm. you can do. It's it's almost one of the worst pains, I understand. Uh, gallstones. And I thought it was gallstones you could cure by riding Magic Mountain in Disneyland, but it turns out it's kidney stones. Oh. <laughs> Did you hear that? No. There's one roller coaster. I swear to you, I'm not making this up. There's one roller coaster where if you ride it and you have kidney stones, there's a good chance that this specific angle of jerking uh-huh. will dislodge them. Interesting. Urologists went with like a model of a kidney with fake gallstones in it. Disneyland let them run this experiment. They rode that thing a hundred times in a row to see if it would knock the gallstones out. 69% of the time, if you sat in the back car, it would work. Really? 
like, is that like going into labor after you have that vinaigrette salad, that raspberry vinaigrette salad or something? I don't know. But folk wisdom like that, that works is pretty magical. But I mean, he didn't have Magic Mountain and also he didn't have kidney stones. So I I can't help him. (laughs) So it was very bad, but it was at least a physical ailment. So that was the summer. Not a good summer vacation. But by the end of October, something had happened. He was upset. He was irritable. He was very unlike himself. And I quote, an agitation building in duration, frequent and abrupt transitions from subject to subject. He spoke almost without ceasing for a matter of 12 to 14 hours a day. He was seeing hallucinations, specifically the two princes who had died. He was physically violent to the point that people had to hold him down to keep him from hurting other people or himself. And even then, he was still bruised and battered from these episodes. The doctors recommended that his wife immediately start sleeping in a separate bedroom from him, which she did. But the king soon began to wander the halls, banging on doors, calling for her. Guards had to sit outside his door to keep him in, and Queen Charlotte, for her protection, was moved from room to room each night. There was a night shift of guards to protect her from her husband as she slept. One night at dinner, he suddenly freaked out and grabbed up his oldest son and threw him against the wall. Everyone screamed, Everyone cried, and he began exclaiming in this loud language about all and sundry, like very sexually inappropriate and explicit conversation. He grabbed a hold of Queen Charlotte in front of everyone and acted inappropriately. That's as far as I'm going with that. He tried to assault his oldest daughter, and when the guards stopped him, he hit his wife. So he's not himself. I mean, no, at and all. A, on a less violent end of this particular behavior, he was doing very bizarre things. Like one day he buried a stake to see if it would grow into a beef tree. Oh, I know. He carried around a pillow. And when people asked, Shire, why are you carrying the pillow? He said, this isn't a pillow. Octavius has come back to me. He's a new baby. Mm-hmm. I mean, that this is like what on earth? And Queen Charlotte was understandably distraught. Think about that. So she didn't eat. She had trouble sleeping, of course. Uh, She had a trusted servant stay up and read to her in the night. They would all listen with half their mind for loud voices or screaming from down the hall. And everyone decided for everyone's sake, they were going to move the king over to Kew, to the White House. It was more hidden from the public for number one. It was a place that had emotional comfort attached to it. Because whatever whatever was happening here, this was not a good look for Joe Britton to be seeing. You know, that's for right. sure. Right. Queen Charlotte decided to go also to Kew with the three oldest daughters and an abbreviated household. They really, really carefully divided that house so that there would be protection for the lady persons. And honestly, at certain points during this period in the left side of the house were only George and some strong, I guess they called them orderlies, but strong men that could wrestle him were the only people allowed on that side of the house. Everybody else lived on the safe side of the house. That's so stressful. It took an army of men a whole day to convince this man to get into a carriage. And when he finally got to queue, he got there and ran for the queen's traditional door. And when it was locked, he started punching people and dancing around screaming. Mm-hmm. 
The doctors didn't know what the heck was going on. At one point, you know, of course, his personal doctor's like, I need a consult with some people, reached out. At one point, there were six doctors wandering around like, well, bleeding won't help, probably. Finally, they admit it. Bleeding won't help. Mustard plasters won't help. I don't even, like, this is so far beyond what I've ever seen before. And they're consulting and arguing. He has an overcharged mind. The sight of such an exhibition in our dear king has affected everyone greatly. Like, what the heck was it? Do we even know? Well, there have been some theories. So for a while, people thought that what he was suffering from was called porphyria. Not going to go too much into porphyria, but it's an inherited disease that basically your body poisons itself and causes confusion and pain and hallucinations. This theory was discredited almost completely in favor of a modern notion that he was suffering from manic depressive psychosis. So we'll give you a link to the Royal College of Physicians report from 2011 that categorically debunks the porphyria theory. Right. It's called King, it couldn't be clearer, it's called King George III, Bipolar Disorder, Porphyria, and Lessons for Historians. (laughs) So that couldn't be clearer. That's what that report is called. Not that it helps George III or Queen Charlotte or the bewildered doctors. They had to call in an expert, the only expert that anyone, like they sent out a network, does anybody got a guy? And there was a guy. He was not a member of the Royal College of Physicians, but at this point, they had exhausted the entire who's who in that organization. His name was Dr. Francis Willis, and he had a reputation for curing another noble of a similar malady. In Bridgerton series, this is Dr. Monroe, but Dr. Monroe was actually another real person. He was a physician who had a reputation of allowing people to pay to watch mentally ill patients at Bethlehem Hospital. Yeah. In Bridgerton, they do all those horrible things to the king as a way of treatment. That's actually true. That stuff that they did to him, tying him down and gagging him and, you know, lecturing at him and beating him and burning him to draw out the bad humors and the leeches and the ice baths, all of that horrible torture was the actual treatment that was done to the king. So Queen Charlotte is in near constant distress and had that feeling you get when you're like, imagine you're at work. And your grand boss is there and you want to cry because things have gone badly, but you have to wait until you get into your car. And she's like that all the time. Mm. And there is no car. There's nowhere she can go that is truly, truly private. And due to the fact that she has conducted her business properly with regard to subordinates and keeping their distance, she does not have the person. You know, she has no Christina Yang. She has no best friend. She has nobody with which she can just be like, what the hell? And cry and freak out, not even to write a letter to. She has nobody except her daughters. And so she starts, this is when it starts, she starts relying on her grown daughters, um, who are really the only ones authorized to see her in the state that she is in. Now, toward a calmer section of treatment, the doctor allowed Charlotte to go visit him. It was supposed to be 15 minutes. It ended up being an hour. 
He cried. He was clingy. It took two strong men to peel him off of her. He left bruises on her arm. Once they detached him, he started insulting and screaming at her. Insults that were hard not to take personally, almost like the solvent of insanity had revealed his true feelings about her appearance, about her looks, about how she conducted her day, about her ancestry, just like all the cruel things that no one would ever say, even if they thought them. And they came from some dark place in his brain. Definitely hard to forget, even though it really wasn't him. Well, the PR leaked to London and the press, and Queen Charlotte tried to edit them as they went out. But ultimately, His Majesty was more unquiet than usual is not going to cut it. Right. And finally, um, Parliament demanded that the doctors just come up there and tell them what the H has been going on, because like, surely what they hear can't be true. Somebody has to explain. And of course, the doctors start squabbling because the, the original traditional doctors do not approve of these methods. I mean, we don't approve of them either. We've seen the show, right? It's not good. Uh, I can't imagine it in any way helps other than to add a layer of trauma frosting. It's not good. So they're arguing in front of Parliament about how he's this and she's that. And Queen Charlotte's trying to be in the middle. The original doctors are pessimistic. The mad doctors, what they called him, is optimistic. Everyone has opinions. But honestly, ultimately, the status was very, very unclear. And this is when they decide, oh, wait, we really do have to codify a regency. We forgot to really be specific before and we got to get to it. And the infighting was... Not glorious, whatever the opposite of glorious is. It was like invidious. The infighting between factions in parliament. Some wanted him declared sane and they wanted to wait and see what happened so that the prince wouldn't get his hands on the regency. Some wanted the queen to have it. Making Charlotte's life even more complicated was that her sons, the oldest, the heir to the throne, he's 26 at this time. So he's certainly old enough to take over. And she's concerned that he's going to have the king declared unfit so that he can start to rule. And if he did, what was he going to do to her? Because she has been on him for years about his behavior. You know, her future was in the balance. All of the boys, except for the youngest, were team Prince of Wales. You know, they were standing by him saying, yeah, this, you know, he could step in here because someone's going to have to do something. And he's certainly old enough. And so she's not only torn because of the health of her husband, but her family, who she's fought so hard to keep together, is starting to splinter. And of course, that is impacting her behavior with the daughters as well. So Regency or no Regency, Parliament and the factions within it argued with each other for so long and fruitlessly about this issue that by March 1789, the king had apparently recovered. He was cheerful. He was surprised that Parliament was meeting because wasn't that illegal? He hadn't opened Parliament. And they're like, you you know that you didn't open Parliament, sire? Like, because a second ago, you were harvesting pumpkins off of your bedclothes. Right. You know, but he actually did, realized he was sweaty and probably needed to wash. He wanted different clothes. He, oh, okay. And gradually, you know, people were waiting and it seemed 
that the crisis was over and the public found out and there was great happiness in the land, despite the fact that over the last couple of, I don't know, decades, maybe just the last decade, the populace had become increasingly disenchanted with their monarch and his attention to detail when their issues were, you know, close to home were concerned. And and so this almost seemed to turn things around. And this is just me talking here. I'm wondering if the the country's just relief about this, about this issue, about that he was back from the brink of death, didn't pull England back from the same kind of agitation that was happening in France right now. And you know what? Despite her turmoil, Queen Charlotte found it in her to send care packages to Marie Antoinette in France, by the way, of clothing, um, of food, of notes, of encouragement, that kind of thing. I mean, that's what she could send. So even in her turmoil, she thought of others' peril. But I'm kind of wondering, Britain thinks they wanted this glamorous rich people king life until you saw what happened and maybe looked with relief at the meat and potatoes royal family you had. And we're sort of glad to see the plain old boringness back in operation. There's definite truth to the may you live in interesting times. And I think Britain might have been relieved that their immediate acute, interesting times were at an end. Although I will tell you, everyone involved had serious PTSD about the year they had just had. After that series of incidents, people were understandably jumpy, walking on eggshells for real, side-eyeing the king at all times. Queen Charlotte, who, despite all the children and despite everything that has happened, is still only 45 years old, is awfully loath to raise any issue at all that might upset the king, including possible marriages for their daughters. I mean, it really is getting, it's getting interesting. So let's, more on that later. (laughs) Evidently, her hair turned white as snow from stress. And so that must be why I have this big streak of silver on one side of my head. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's it. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So that same year, the year that he recovered from what was ailing him, at least temporarily, the parliament decided to go ahead and pass that Regency bill that they had talked about before. So the eldest son, Prince George, was given basically king light duties. Parliament placed restrictions on him that he really chafed at. He was not allowed to create any new peers. He was not allowed to sell any crown property. He could certainly not unilaterally declare war on anyone. And there were some other things. And the prince was actually very tart. Like, how dare you put restrictions on me if I am the acting king? But nevertheless, what were his options? And he agreed. But the actual body of the king, the care for the personage that is actually still their king, their crowned king, was given to his wife, Charlotte. Also, she was still in charge of the children and the minor children and their directions in life. So that seemed pretty fair. And you know what? I don't even think she wanted to be the other kind of regent. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. she never had been involved in politics, really had very little desire to be involved in it. What she didn't approve of, though, was the nomination of the Prince Regent just because she felt 
that he was not capable. You know, she felt like he was not responsible. He had certainly not shown that in any of his behavior. So it's not that she wanted it for herself. It's that she wanted people to reevaluate the son and his mantle of responsibility. They actually had so much conflict, the two of them, Queen Charlotte and her eldest son, that Charlotte sort of froze him out for a matter of almost four years. Didn't speak to him. She had planned a concert to celebrate her husband's newfound health, and she didn't invite her two oldest sons because their relationship was just so tattered. She couldn't trust them. They hadn't handled the whole illness very well. They were at odds until four years later when the second son married a perfectly acceptable princess. The foster daughter of Frederick of Prussia, that is a very powerful connection. And the reason Frederick got married was because his older brother considered himself already married. Remember, we talked about that. He had married without permission to someone that wouldn't have been approved of anyway. And he considered himself already married. So there's no sense with all these brothers that I have getting after me about this. So (laughs) to that end, Frederick, second at bat, Uh, got married to a perfectly acceptable and lovely person. And Queen Charlotte loved this daughter-in-law. Her name was Frederica. She's described as clever and well-informed. She likes society and dislikes ceremony. But in the midst of the most familiar conversation, she always preserves a certain dignity of manner. And later she was described after, unfortunately, she and Frederick couldn't get along and separated. She was described regretfully as, and I quote, Probably no person was ever more genuinely liked. So (laughs) it's not the daughter-in-law that's the problem. I guess is what we're reading in that. And Queen Charlotte was disappointed this didn't work out. In 1792, you know, sometimes when one is disappointed, one buys an ice cream for oneself. (laughs) Sometimes when you are a queen, one buys yourself a new house and (laughs) obtained either for her or By her, she bought a house called Frogmore House about a mile from Windsor Castle. One of her daughters called it something else. It started to become, among the daughters anyway, called the nunnery. This is where Queen Charlotte retreated with her daughters as companions and just became increasingly sharp. And I don't want to say emotionless, but, you know, like sometimes you have a cortisol overload and you become a happy face with a straight line for a mouth. Right. That's what started. This is where it all started. Yeah. At Frogmore House. Gone was that cozy family life that she had enjoyed for so long. So long. I mean, even in her family of origin and also the equilibrium she had felt with her husband, you know, between George and Charlotte, there seemed to be um, like they were jigsaw puzzle pieces. One buoyed the other up where they were short. That's a good marriage, I think. And um, that was key to their, their happiness. And now the wheels were off the bus. Right about the same time, Queen Charlotte has had that ongoing pen pal relationship with Queen Marie Antoinette over in France. She is wondering how she can get the family rescued, the French family, bring them to England, get them to safety. While she's trying to make that work out, unfortunately, Marie Antoinette was executed. So she got word about that, and that was just another crushing blow to her. You know, I don't think she's ever going to recover from even that first illness he had. You know, that was just so traumatic, not only to see her husband so ill, but what happened with her family. 
it's really affected her personality, and I don't think it ever changes. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, I mean, she has little moments of happiness, but I think that generalized optimism she had before is definitely gone mm-hmm. for good. That same year, she had another son that disappointed her. Uh, You know, we can just line them all up. (laughs) Prince Augustus secretly married a lady, um, at least, um, a lady called Lady Augusta Murray. It was illegal as he was under 25 and hadn't gotten permission. Oh, sorry. So then he married again without permission. Also illegal. So he had two marriages <laughs> that aren't recognized. And the children born of his illegal marriages, of course, would not be in the line of succession. I, I don't know what it's going to take to get you people to have a modicum of, you know, like a modicum of what I need from you, mm-hmm. what your duty has been. Mm-hmm. Any of you? There's so many of you. Surely there'll be one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, George and Charlotte grew up in similar environments and that they provided for their children. So if they turned out well, what's going on with all these boys? Like I said, I think it's because they had their own household. And you know, sometimes when you don't have anyone there that has the power to absolutely tell you no, Mm -hmm. if they'd been at home, Papa would have been, you know, you're being a pill. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent word choice. (laughs) Yeah. Or, you know, even their sisters would have been a good influence. Think about modern day Charlotte. So George and Louis pop off and Charlotte is like, really with this? You can tell she's kind of like keeping him and, you know, keeping him a little bit in line. Mm. (laughs) But they didn't even have the good influence of well-behaved sisters because they didn't live in the same house. The boys were away. Yep, that's true. This is when Frederick, the second born's marriage was really breaking up also. And so the two parents decided that they really and genuinely had to force, coerce their oldest son to contract an official marriage. He had accrued so many debts. If he got married, his debts would be cleared. So he had yet another reason to actually have a legal marriage that his parents recognized. And his debts had mounted to such an extent that I'm literally not understanding how he spent all this money. I think he lost a lot of it gambling. 65 million pounds in yeah. modern money. Million. That is a million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would I would not be able to get $65 million in debt if I meant to. Right. So the Prince of Wales agreed to marry his cousin, who he had never met. He said, one damned German Frau is as good as another. And this German Frau was Caroline of Brunswick. Do you remember Augusta too? Heathers? You know, remember we talked mm-hmm. about the Heathers? Yeah. This is actually that second Augusta's daughter. Right. So also spicy and sort of devil may care, you know. <laughs> also, yeah, she was 20-something, but she was fairly unpolished. He was so unhappy at the sight of her and by some accounts, the smell of her. Mm. That he spent his whole wedding night getting super drunk and ended up passing out in the fireplace, which luckily didn't have a fire in it at the time. So he was sort of unhappy about that. She wasn't happy either. You know, she said he's ugly. There was not any of that harmony that Charlotte and George had had upon their first meeting that you would want for an arranged marriage, I guess. Luckily for a princess in that situation, she got pregnant almost immediately. And by the time their child was born, they were already living in different places. So that's how much they didn't like each other. 
1796, Princess Charlotte was born, and it was very clear that this was going to be the only child of this marriage. And as he is the oldest, she is first in line for the throne. So this is the new heir, young Princess Charlotte. Luckily for everyone, we've covered the life of Princess Charlotte (laughs) very thoroughly in another episode, and we will give you a link. That would be episode 13. It's a long time ago, so listen with an open heart (laughs) to the baby podcasters we were at that time. That's right. Mm. When we knew better, we did better. Correct. (laughs) It's a journey. Somebody said that to me once. I was like, yeah, okay, it's a journey. Go back to episode 13 of that journey. So something about this latest series of marital failures loosened up the restrictions a little bit in the parents' minds. And the year after Princess Charlotte was born, their eldest daughter, who everyone called Royal, to differentiate her as Princess Royal from her mother, who had the same name, she, at 31, married Prince Frederick of Württemberg the year after Princess Charlotte was born. And she was 31, perfectly able to have had a child, I suppose. She's the first girl to go away from home. It was a big, big difference in the family. And she did not have any living children. She gave birth to one daughter who did not live the year after her marriage. It was his second marriage. And just this just tells you how close these families are interbred. <laughs> Is that the right word to say? Mm-hmm. He had been married before. His first wife was actually Caroline, the mother of the heir apparent, Princess Charlotte, her sister. And their marriage didn't work out. They were in the middle of kind of a divorce. And then she died of natural causes at the age of 23. It's very complicated. And I don't know how people draw those those family trees. (laughs) There's lots of squiggly branches. Yeah. Despite the years of keeping her daughters on a tight rein, you know, not letting them out and and just keeping an eye on them so closely, Charlotte was all for this marriage. She even made her daughter's wedding gown. And she made it in the color that the daughter wanted, not the color that Queen Charlotte herself wanted. So that was nice. I love that. And, you know, she has practiced embroidery her whole entire life. Mm -hmm. And the whole family was notoriously good at needlework. So the care that she took, the the time that it took to do this, and also the skill with which she did it. I mean, I bet that was a a wonderful gift for her daughter. Mm -hmm. That same year, the king of Sweden, this is the second king to do this, asked for permission to marry Princess Augusta, the second in line. Again, like I said before, the considered to be the most beautiful sister. And the family said, no, it's too hard. We let one daughter leave and our heart hurt too badly. I mean, they, you know, I'm paraphrasing. And we can't possibly send another daughter away from home. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) we let one go. Isn't that enough for you people? (laughs) So, you know, these poor daughters, man, more on that again. Still, in 1800, Queen Charlotte brought a tradition into the royal household that has stuck to the present day in Mecklenburg Strelitz, there was a tradition of bringing in a U branch, that's Y E W, <laughs> branch of a tree, and the children of the family would decorate it with presents they had bought for their parents, and it was illuminated by little wax candles. And it was a joyous occasion. The parents weren't allowed to come in the room until it was all done, and she brought that tradition with her to Britain. But in 1800, when she was 56, 
she was giving a party for a hundred children at one of the palaces. And that yew tree was not going to be big enough for what she had in mind. She had an entire large tree brought in, and instead of the children decorating it, she and the staff decorated it for the children. And I quote an observer of this, a British man who'd never seen this before. On the branches hung bunches of sweetmeats, almond and raisin in colored papers, fruits and toys most tastefully arranged. The whole tree was illuminated by small wax candles. After the entire company had walked round and around and admired the tree, each child, to their delight, obtained a portion of the sweets that it had borne, together with a toy, and then all returned home quite delighted. So the practice, you know, of doing this tree at Christmas became very popular among the wealthier folk of the country. I would not be surprised if we actually told you that it was Queen Victoria's husband, Albert, that brought it to mm-hmm. the country, to Britain, because we, I believe I thought that was true. No, I, I read this. Yeah, no, so did I. I'm so glad you said that because I was like, didn't? No? Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. But that said, they did come from the same <laughs> Not right. to be ironic, the same family tree in <laughs> in Germany. And so those traditions were very similar. And I do think it's interesting that the entire reversal, like that the children got the presents, was different. And that's the revelation that she brought to mm. the country instead of having the parents be the ones that get the little presents. I'm like, what happened to that? <laughs> you know how we leave milk and cookies for Santa and you know it's usually the dad that drinks it traditionally? <laughs> right. In England, they leave liquor. <laughs> There's a remnant there. Of, you could have had a gift. Unfortunately, all is not Christmas trees and gifts for this family. There was an assassination attempt on George at Drury Lane. We had gone to the theater. Actually, on that day, George had faced two assassination attempts. He was shot at outside as he was going to the theater. And then once he was inside, a man near the orchestra pit also opened fire. And as the child of two orchestra musicians, I'm super excited to tell you that it was the orchestra that tackled him and disarmed him. And then they kept him in the green room until the authorities could be summoned. Hooray, orchestra. George himself showed amazing calm in the moment. He just went to the front of the box and pulled out his little, it wasn't an opera glass because I don't think it had two lenses. Anyway, his little telescope thing and regarded the audience and everyone spontaneously began to sing God Save the King. And then again, they sang it after the performance with an added verse written on the spot. From every latent foe, from the assassin's blow, God save the king. O'er him thine arm extend, for Britain's sake defend our father, prince, and friend, God save the king. I mean, it was very touching. We'd forgotten to mention earlier, and I think this is important with regard to his mental breakdown that's about to happen, but 15 years ago, George was coming out of his carriage on the way in to St. James Palace, and a very respectable middle-class woman, well-dressed, perfectly acceptable, started to approach him with this scroll of paper in her hand. This happens all the time. She gave off no vibes that would indicate she was going to attack him. Nevertheless, when she got within striking distance of him, that's exactly what she did. The official description of the knife she wielded is a, quote, pearl-handled dessert knife, unquote. I mean, upon looking at it, I think it looks like a butter knife, but the thing you need to know is it had a rounded tip. It didn't go through his clothes. Now, she, of course, was easily subdued by the guards, but the penalty for trying to assassinate the king, of course, 
is the death penalty. George stopped the guards and said she is but a poor, mad thing and spared her the execution. But instead, she was sent to Bedlam, the famous mental hospital. His compassion is a little ironic, considering what's about to happen as we flash forward to right after his spectacular performance on the balcony, the spontaneous exhibition of love from a whole theater full of people. He held it all together until he got home and started thinking about it. It seems as though something traumatic happens and then he gets propelled into these episodes. And that's what happened again. And again, Dr. Willis was called and George knew it was just going to be awful. And it was very traumatic for Charlotte and very traumatic for George III also. He witnessed the arrival of Dr. Willis and genuinely had a side along double panic attack about that because he knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. This time, the treatment is done at the White House at Kew, which had previously been one of their favorite places to be. It was equally traumatic. It's the last time. And when he finally rebounded, he had the house torn down because he just couldn't face it again without thinking about what had happened in there. And he made the family promise that if this happened again, Dr. Willis would not be called. He just couldn't go through that again. It was about this time, like she did last time, that Queen Charlotte um, had built on the estate of Frogmore House, the house that we now know as Frogmore Cottage, former home of Prince Harry and his lovely wife, Meghan Markle, until they were kicked out of it recently. For some reason. Oh, it could be that book. Mm. <laughs> I really like that book. <laughs> I actually liked him reading that book. Yeah, 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 that's how I listened. But I will tell you, man, did William and Kate not come out very well in that book. Mm-mm. No, not at all. Neither did uh, the new queen consort. There was some laundry that was airing. That is all I'm going to say about that book. Um, I actually used an Audible credit for it. so I did too. Yeah, it was nice to listen to him while I was on my walks. <laughs> so this is the this is the origin of that delightful residence. I really do like it. In 1804, I am sorry to say there was a giant relapse. And Dr. Willis's sons, who were following their father's methodology, were called again, but to the dismay and fear of the king. And Charlotte literally, quite literally, could not cope with the mental and emotional loss of her husband. This is a sort of permanent separation within his radius still. However, she now has definitely her own separate bedroom. She never took meals with him again. She made sure never to be alone with him in a room. He was often quite violent, definitely unpredictable, and his words were hurtful. And I know some people have gone through this with a parent Mm-hmm. Where they're just, you you sort of have to give them accommodation for what they're going through, but it does hurt nevertheless. And um, so her feelings manifested themselves in controlling and sometimes very cruel behavior against her children. She was very lonely and increasingly very bitter about the turn that her life had taken, but really, really struggled to keep the, you know, the face of the royal family one of respectability and like a a role model type of family, even though through this whole thing, her sons were being cockamamie and reckless 
and her struggles against their obvious flouting of her rules, regulations, and wishes led to mockery and misunderstanding in the press. And the cartoons from this era are not good at all. Unfortunately, the hits are going to keep coming. Remember Princess Amelia, the baby of the family, everybody's favorite, the king's favorite for sure. Well, she had never been a healthy child. She was often sent to take the waters, a little frail, often in a very good mood. She had a sunny disposition. Again, you know, she was everybody's pet. Everyone loved Princess Emily. I'm kind of surprised that she's the only one that caught tuberculosis, given that all those sisters, well, except the one that escaped and got to live in another court, <laughs> but um, all those sisters were sort of cooped up. I mean, this isn't like they're in a tenement room all on top of each other or anything, but nobody else got it. But nevertheless, her health went so far downhill and it was really devastating for everyone. At this point, Amelia, Emily, is only 27 years old. But she knew that her end was near, and so she had a mourning ring made for her father with a lock of her hair underneath a crystal with some diamonds around it so that he would have something tangible to remember her by because she knew that she wasn't going to be around much longer. She had been in a deep and real relationship with an equerry named Charles Fitzroy. And since she knew she was dying, she wrote a will, leaving most of her belongings to Charles Fitzroy with her love. After she died, I'm sorry to say that her family tricked Charles Fitzroy, telling him that it was sort of improper, so he should probably waive his rights. They would give him all her things on the DL. But as far as PR went, she left everything to the family. And he agreed. He didn't want to tarnish her name. But then they just stole everything. Didn't give him anything. Ignored him when he showed up to ask for things or ask why this was happening. Didn't admit him into the room. They they did him. They did him wrong. Mm-hmm. George took it so hard that the day after Amelia died, he had to be put in a straitjacket. Just holding him down on the floor wasn't going to work this time. He was violent and physical, and nobody could constrain him enough, so they needed to put him in a straitjacket. It's, again, there's something traumatic that happens. The king was described as turbulent, incoherent, disordered, impatient, exceedingly talkative, violent, and believed that he himself was already dead. And then Prince George, in one of his letters, said, and I quote, a great amount of water runs through his chair as he refuses to use a chamber pot. Mm. So this is so serious. He is basically permanently downhill. He is also going blind in a separate, unrelated incident. And modern doctors believe that at this point, he was actually exhibiting signs of dementia, in addition to everything else that was going on. And that year, the Regency was put in place for real, like the real, genuine, we now have a prince regent and some common sense members, not of the House of Lords, but of the House of Commons asked quite pointedly, why have we not done this before? Because we now know what happened in 1801 and 1805 when everyone was just la 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 and didn't tell us anything. And we don't appreciate that. We don't appreciate that at all. And so, although they gave the Prince Regent powers, they gave him some powers for a year and then they became permanent after a year, they made sure that it was Queen Charlotte that had charge of the king and a council 
made up of the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Archbishop of York, some other privy councillors. They were all in charge of informing Parliament as to what was going on. They did not leave that to the Prince Regent. They, um, George was set up at Windsor. You know, just what a couple of years ago they're having the Christmas tree there. Now it's his. I don't want to say it's a prison, but he is. It's his hospital, and he's not getting out. He's really sequestered in there. Charlotte actually never saw the king again after 1812. She was very, very, very sad about it. It was too traumatic for her to see him and what he had become. And she was also, and so was everyone else, very, very afraid for her safety. So that's the last time she ever saw her husband. So the Prince Regent, now the boss of everyone, loved the prizes. You know, he loved all of the accoutrement that came with being so powerful. But what he didn't like was all the work. I hadn't realized, he said, to which I played the small trombone. Like, (laughs) he was bummed that there was a lot of reading to do. There you go about that. Unfortunately, for the regent, for the ruling member of the house, he needed a hostess. There needed to be a female person in charge at official events. And he hated his wife, A, and B, wouldn't have her anywhere near him. And C, had someone to hand that knew what was expected and knew what was expected of a royal member of the family, unlike his wife. And so he reached out to his mama. And Queen Charlotte and the Prince Regent were able to make up enough in their relationship that they worked together. She did the hostessing jobs, and she also helped raise little Princess Charlotte. Princess Charlotte isn't living with her own mother, who's far away at this point. She's being raised at court, and Queen Charlotte is kind of heavily involved in that. Also helping was those aunts. Now, These kids could have gotten married, you know, after the age of 25, they could have chosen their own spouses, but they didn't. All these girls are still, the ones that hadn't gotten married are still not married yet. That's not entirely true, but it is according to the official narrative because word is that Princess Augusta, she of, hey, two kings want you to marry them. That lady finally (laughs) might have been secretly married to an equerry, but by then she was 52. So she was double the age. She needed to ask anyone for permission. (laughs) And I I don't remember where I learned that. I think reading the letters of one of her sisters, it was kind of casually mentioned. But of course, she's already, you know, she's already married. She's perfectly happy. You know, that kind of thing. So, (laughs) um, So hooray for Princess Augusta. She at last has fallen in love. Because why would you secretly marry someone unless you were in love? You know, right. The aunts and grandma, Queen Charlotte, they all rallied around their niece, Princess Charlotte, when she came out in society, and they all came together joyously when she married her beloved, Prince Leopold of Saxe-Coburg. At that point, Queen Charlotte is 72 years old, and she tried to come along on the honeymoon with them. <laughs> but Princess Charlotte had a strong enough backbone that she kind of closed the carriage door on her grandmother like, no, mom, you know, that's not going to happen. 
I have read somewhere there's a college, and I want to say it's an Ivy League college that has this. And now we have this ceremony and they take all the parents to one side of the big iron gates and they're like, and now we will perform the ceremony and they shut the gates. (laughs) That's good. They should do that. (laughs) Get out of here. My kids kicked me out. You know, we like got their stuff. I'm like, can I put together this Ikea rolling tray? No, mom, I've got it. Bye. I'm like, oh, I know. I got one more to send off. Maybe I'll put together the rolling cart tray before he goes. Oh, yeah. My parents were in Vienna. <laughs> they, they didn't even take me to college, which is just kind of blows my mind because you were 16. You were so young. Yeah, I was 16. And on the way to college, I got in a major car wreck, too. Oh, I don't think I ever heard that story. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah, my car was broken. So I took my mom's car and then I got in a pretty major car wreck. When I almost got to school, the car limped there. No one told me I had to bring a blanket or shampoo or I didn't know. So I just showed up with like my car and broken, my mom's car, broken and a bag of clothes. And then that's it. I know, man. I'm so sorry. So all of this like, oh, I didn't put together the thing. I'm like, really? I'm going to play that small trombone again. I'm going to play it. Uh-huh. But it's the Ikea rolling cart tray thing. I don't even know what it's called, but <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Like school or yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> something like that. So she's been out and about, Princess Mary. She's been chaperoning her niece to this ball and that ball. And I am happy to say that at the age of 40, Princess Mary at last, hooray, got married. You know, they waited so long to allow all these daughters to get married. And if you want 10 baby heirs in a line, there's a window. Yeah, no kidding. 40 Uh, is not in the window. Well, it's in the window, but it's not very, it's not well in the window. I had my last one after 40, and I will tell you, the window is closing. (laughs) Right. So what they don't have is a whole bunch of heirs. All of the chips are riding on Princess Charlotte. Unfortunately, that storybook marriage that not only us, but the populace loved this princess. A year after she was pregnant, she's going into labor. Queen Charlotte was down in Bath, and she is racing to get to her granddaughter's side. Unfortunately, Princess Charlotte died in childbirth. And the baby died, too. So Queen Charlotte wrote to the Prince Regent upon hearing the news and said, and I quote, how painful it is for me to take up my pen at this moment when I had flattered myself to make use of this pen by giving you joy, which has pleased the Almighty to turn to grief, a mourning for us all. And the public reaction in Britain was as if everyone had lost their favorite child. Everything was shut down. All the shops ran out of black cloth. Other stores closed for two weeks. The law courts closed down. They even closed commerce on the docks. Everything. The whole country came to a grinding halt. And then when they're still mourning, but now they're starting to talk about what happened and whose fault it was, a lot of the populace pointed their fingers right at Queen Charlotte because there was no family members at the princess's side. Charlotte was trying to get there, but she didn't make it. And, you know, they the public needed a scapegoat. And unfortunately, Charlotte was one of the big ones. 
she did meet with, I, I put it lightly, like a growing lessening of her popularity is how I put it. And that's yeah. pretty mild. I mean, she was in her coach one time and her coach was surrounded by people screaming at her. Mm-hmm. That's unheard of. And, and she actually told everyone there that it was very upsetting for her, for them to react this way to her after all of her years of service to the country and to her people. That's all she said. She was pretty mild. She was very Steve Carell about it all. Didn't raise her voice, didn't have anyone arrested. But still, that is a blow to her heart mm-hmm. because that's that's how she's going out, you know? Yeah. After all this time, this is what she's been left with. Well, okay, fine. That's all happening. I can't change that. But what I can change is this. We no longer have an heir. We have lost one generation and the next one after that, and none of my children has a legitimate heir. Oh, we have some people running around with other last names. Right. We sure do. But we don't have anyone that could be in the line of succession. I will tell you, 1818 was a very full year. Both William and Edward were, I wrote married, but I'm going to say were married off. Oh. <laughs> at her insistence, I think, on the same day. And Edward, the second one of these brothers, would end up being the father of Queen Victoria. Hooray, he wins. We don't know that yet. He produced the heir. Also, in 1818, that same year, Princess Elizabeth married at 48. And you know, princesses don't stay. She went away. So Princess Elizabeth is gone. She actually may have had a child out of wedlock. I mean, the brothers are doing it right and left. But it's sort of unusual for a, a princess to have done it. And that's not a definitive scenario, but there's a lot of evidence that Princess Elizabeth may, in fact, have a child. Also in 1818, Adolphus married Princess Augusta of Hesse Castle, which is regular, which is okay. She was a princess. They had three kids. It was uneventful. The end. Like, Yay. that's it. <laughs> There's one. But that son has never been a problem. You always knew he was going to pull that off at some point. (laughs) We're all surprised about Ernest. Like, wow, where were you? Like, huh. But Adolphus, you know, he came through in the end. Hooray. Those two prince marriages were done at Kew together because Queen Charlotte's health had taken a turn. She was very weak. She had developed what's called dropsy. It's swelling of your body due to heart or liver or kidney failure. She knew that the end was coming. She couldn't move at all. She developed pneumonia. This swelling caused one of her legs to split open and become infected. And on November 17th, 1818, after 57 years as queen, Queen Charlotte was surrounded by some of her daughters, some of her sons, people that she really loved. She passed away at the age of 74. With her oldest son holding her hand. There at the end. Yep. They made up enough that he was there with her right at the end. She was laid in state in the dining room at the Dutch house at Kew, where she had passed away. She was laying in state until December 2nd when she was brought to St. George's Chapel at Windsor. Despite her approval rating not being great, crowds and the villagers lined the street outside of Kew to pay their respects to their queen. Well, and you know what? It's just like we all gripe about Charles and, and all this stuff, but people would people turned out for his coronation. Mm-hmm. There's like a like a baseline level of love, I think. 
for a certain amount part of society for the royals, you know? Just thanks for being here. Thanks for your long service. In fact, she is the second longest serving consort in British history after Prince Philip. So she she was the consort for 57 years and 70 days. The king was at Windsor Castle where she was going to be buried. He hadn't been told that she had died. They covered the roadway with straw so that he couldn't hear the horses that are pulling the carriage that has her coffin on it. And he didn't know that she was gone. And he followed her in death 15 months later. Just a quick word before we go into media. If you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you probably already know this, you are in the county of Mecklenburg. (laughs) So that's pretty awesome. Also, if you live in Charlotte, Vermont, your town was named after Queen Charlotte of mecklenburg strelitz However, if you live in Charlotte, New York or Charlottesville, Virginia, your town is named after Princess Charlotte of Wales, who died in childbirth in 1816 and not after our Queen Charlotte at all. And last but not least, as our friend Sean Andres and Chelsea June both live there, Cincinnati is the queen city, not because of a queen person, but because it was called the queen of the West. (laughs) That is so funny because I have exactly the same thing written down. (laughs) The hospital that she had been supporting through those queen's balls that were held every year as fundraisers. In 1923, the name of it was changed to Queen Charlotte's Maternity Hospital and Midwifery Training School. God, I love saying midwifery. (laughs) I don't know why it's such a fun word to say. Prince Harry and his bride, Meghan, were married on what would have been Queen Charlotte's 275th birthday. Perhaps unintentionally, but nevertheless, that is a spectacular little tribute here at the end. A nice little circle, a bow. And now it's time for media. And as usual, we'll start with books. There is, as evidenced by the title, a very, very recent book called The Real Queen Charlotte Inside the Real Bridgerton Court by Catherine Curzon. Obviously, by the name, you know, that is a very, very recent book. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure its working title was different. But yes, (laughs) I agree. That was like my one of my two primary ones. And I do want to give a little comment here. My Kindle had died when we went to Washington and I was talking with one of the travelers who actually works for Amazon. And he's like, oh, you got to try the scribe, the Kindle scribe. It's this, you can write on it, like you can write notes on it and stuff. And I was like, oh, it's a lot of money. But I said, okay, fine, I'm going to get it. And I got it. And I love it so much. So thank you, Rex. I love it. (laughs) Another book that is directly um, about Queen Charlotte was written Not so recently. It was written in 1899 by Percy Fitzgerald, and it's called The Good Queen Charlotte. Obviously, I do not have an old edition, although, you know, if I'm rummaging around and happen to see one, it would be cool. It would be cool. Is the edition you got, it looks like it was one of those that it's just printed with the old timey font and everything. That's the one I got of this book. No. Well, no. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like some books, like old books, they just, I don't, they must digitize them and print them. That's the version I got. That's what it looked like. Cool. The book that I wish that I had read first, I read this last, and I would have loved to have read this during the let's get to know Charlotte in general and take our time phase of, of research. And it's called A Royal Experiment, The Private Life of King George III by Janice Hadlow. 
and it's 704 pages, and it is a lot about King George, but it's really about the family. So it had a lot of information, and I just really liked the way that it was written. Now, two that are very Queen Charlotte inclusive yet adjacent. Behind the Throne, A Domestic History of the British Royal Household, there is a chapter about the household of Charlotte and George III, which includes a lot of coverage of his mental state, but also goes in the Wayback Machine and travels forward. So it's really good to learn little snippets about lots of royal families. And then an extensive book covering the six daughters of George III called Princesses by Flora Frazier. Now, when you are shopping for books on Queen Charlotte, you're going to see a very cute cover called Snuff, Pugs, and Lace, The Real History Behind Queen Charlotte. What it is is actually a compilation of letters and poetry and essays, some by her, some written about her. The cover, you're like, oh, this is going to be great. It's like that bathtub gin book. I don't even remember the name of it. That was really fun to read. This wasn't that fun. So I'm just... Going to be honest here. You're anti-influencing that book. I'm anti-influencing it. There's information in there, but yeah, it wasn't a good use of my time. Um, There is another book that I actually had for somebody else that we are still casually researching, just like starting. And oh, this is kind of a hint. Uh, It's called Mad Kings and Queens, History's Most Famous Raving Royals by Allison Rattle and Allison Vale. And it's a compilation of very short essays about uh, all these different royals who had some type of mostly mental illnesses. Um, Some were just very cruel, but I had it already. And so George was in there. And then um, uh, speaking of George, if you guys want a very well-respected, easy-to-read biography, very recent, which I think is key when you're reading about George III, I think, because there's been a lot of comedic and purposeful misinterpretation throughout the years. So Mm. this book was published in 2021 by Andrew Roberts called The Last King of America, The Misunderstood Reign of George III. So that's the one that I would recommend starting with. And here's another book, Fanny Burney at the Court of Queen Charlotte by Charlotte Hill. So Fanny Burney was an established author that Queen Charlotte really, really, really loved and sort of drafted her into the household in 1786. I mean, she was a fan of this person and offered her the position of Queen of the Robes. It's kind of random. We didn't talk about her earlier because I think we do want to cover Fanny Burney. She published a book anonymously called Evelina or History of a Young Lady's Entrance into the World. Jane Austen loved her. In fact, see if this sounds familiar. This is the end of Fanny Burney's second book. The whole of this unfortunate business has been the result of pride and prejudice. Yeah, that sounds kind of familiar. She was actually the first to popularize the word grumpy. So she's a big inspiration in my life. So she went through it all. She went through the whole second madness. She talks about family life and everything, and it's a very illuminating read. So I recommend that. Then there's a children's book called The Queen and the First Christmas Tree by Nancy Chernin with illustrations by Louisa Uribe. And it's pretty cute. Cute. I love it when there's children's books. That's all. (laughs) Um, As to movies or, you know, you know the big one. That's right. The, The big one is the brand new series, the prequel to the Bridgerton series called A Bridgerton Story, Queen Charlotte. 
Also, there is The Madness of King George. It's from 1994. It's starring Helen Mirren as Charlotte and Nigel Hawthorne as George. And it is a very, um, I mean, it's an older movie, but the medical scenes, what he had to go through, uh, I think are very accurate. And then if you would like, we, this is a rabbit hole, if you would like to watch a show about King George's sister, Caroline Matilda, the one that made both parents really, really not want to send any of their daughters away to get married, there's a movie called A Royal Affair from 2012, starring the second Tomb Raider star, Alicia Vikander. Oh. <laughs> Then there are a whole bunch of horrible histories. Now, I, I'm i here to tell you sometimes I don't get the horrible histories. <laughs> like, it's very Britishy humor, you know, um, as it should be. But there are a whole bunch of Georgian ones. There's one called The Four Georges. There's one, George IV, which, of course, is the Prince Regent. There's also a whole compilation called Gorgeous Georgians. Um, there it is. <laughs> I will leave that with you. I could not for the life of me find a drunk history. Mm -hmm. And again, I regret that drunk history has no searchable, you know, catalog. Right. Right. So, no, I, I looked for it as well. Because you would have thought, I mean, something, if not her about him, but nope. I mean, there's there's a George Washington. There's a whole Revolutionary War series. Right. Um, but him. Of drunk like, history, but right. not from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to say, if you find yourself in London, go to Kew Gardens, the Royal Botanic Gardens. There's over 50,000 plants. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And when we go there in September, I am going. <laughs> Nothing's going to stop me. <laughs> and if you want to learn more about all the palaces and the people who occupied them, there is a great one-stop shop called the Historic Royal Palaces. It's hrp.org. Mm, I think you have to say .uk, but I'm not sure about that last part. <laughs> Historic royal palaces. Um, so they have essays on Queen Charlotte, on King George, on Kew Palace, on Frogmore Cottage, um, just everywhere you'd ever want to be. For most of our subjects that um, happened in Britain, they have the palaces. Um, I found a list of her household, which numbers well over 200 people which is great. And then also a little essay that involves the zebra <laughs> and how the zebra became kind of shorthand for royal excess and ridiculousness. And in particular, they talk about this cartoon that has Lord Butte as the zebra with a head of George III and how <laughs> everyone's reacting to what's happening there. Um, so that's good. Also some medical, I, I promised you some links to Medical experts debunking the porphyria theory at the Royal College of Physicians. And also a Smithsonian article explaining why we were so firmly in the corner that no Queen Charlotte was not, in fact, presenting as a woman of color. And I have nothing else. Thanks for listening. Bye. If you liked what you heard today, please tell your friends, especially if they also have been watching the Bridgerton prequel, Queen Charlotte, or... Leave a review for us on your favorite podcast player app. We know there are some new listeners from this series, so please go to thehistorychicks.com to find media links, photos, and other details about this and all of our other episodes. Also, if you're more of a visual learner, go to our Pinterest boards, and there will be a board for every episode there with plenty of rabbit holes to fall down, a la Alice in Wonderland. 
This song in the middle is, of course, again by Handel, George and Charlotte's favorite artist. And the song at the end is Lost by Mary Ellen Kirk. I just wanted to show really the heartbreak and just loss that happened from part one until here at the end. We'll see you soon with another episode.